0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons, that's Tom Fernelli I'm Chip Patterson, and we hope you enjoyed the Cover 3 takeover on CBS Sports HQ. Uh, you can find the audio podcast version of that in the Cover 3 podcast feed. Hope you've enjoyed the Cover 3 pick six crossover events. Uh, There'll be more of those to come as well. Always make sure you go and give our friends on the NFL side, Pick 6, a listen. Um, You know, we got a lot of chance to break down the NFL draft. and, And gentlemen, it feels really good to get back to the thing that really first... Brought us a, a good little sparkle of joy uh, during all of this extended time at home, and it was trying to dig into these teams in our spring gleaning series. We have already done the Pac-12 North, the Pac-12 South, two different doses of the Big 12 and the ACC Coastal and the ACC Atlantic. Um, I got to say, guys, it feels feels good to get a little nerdy, right? Like Just to break the books out, blow the dust off, and, and sort of start looking ahead to uh, what we hope is a good 2020 season.
2: Tom, Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I I feel like the more nerdy thing I do is the NFL draft stuff. To me, this is more bread and butter.
0: Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. I I feel like college football is my bread and butter, and NFL draft analysis and research for me is my nerdy type of thing. Although I got a lot of nerdy pursuits, they're all nerdy, really.
2: I think people. I I think there's probably uh, uh, a a layer of people that. Like to get in the Cover Three podcast, and and it's this uh, this vacuum, this this container of which the 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 quarantine doesn't take place except for the first five minutes when I tell my horror stories of my house, <laughs> uh, and then after that people can just pretend like football season is coming just like normal, nothing to worry about, just got a football season to prepare for.
1: I tell you what's going to beat the coronavirus football.
2: That's right. All right, well the the, moment, the momentum is like we're getting a little mo. I don't want to talk about it. Right now. I don't
1: want to talk about it. I don't <laughs> I don't want to jinx or ruin anything. No, no,
0: no just, listen, not to ruin anything, but I think that we have seen, I know that here locally, the University of North Carolina system, which at the Power 5 level, level includes uh, I think Charlotte as well as North Carolina and NC State, as well as App State too, they are planning right now to have students on campus this fall. A lot can change. A lot can change. But uh, we've seen Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Alabama, Auburn. I mean, there's there's a lot of schools out here that are starting to prepare as those students will be on campus. And as we've talked about before, students being on campus has to be the first step for the students who also play for the football team uh, to be there doing the four to six weeks that they would need to get ready for the season. So, I'm Barton, I'm with you. I see Mo. I sit, but we can be cautious about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Don't we? I guess we shouldn't be the person uh, in the middle of the perfect game that starts talking about the perfect game.
0: Hey, have you looked at your scorecard? Do you know what? You're on pace to shoot. <laughs> and then he pulls a drive into the water right away. Um, all right. Well, listen, before we dive into the Big Ten East, next up in our spring gleaning series, I, I don't think – I know for a fact this is not the end of the story, but I think that with it being some of the news of the week – Figured we'd uh, we'd check in on a couple of NCAA topics. The first bigger one that's a little bit more difficult to pin down, at least in terms of what we know about details, would be the NCAA's announcement of moving towards name, image, and likeness beginning in the 2021-2022 season. We have discussed this here among the three of us on the podcast, and so I guess. You know, they the things that I'm really curious about are probably, you know, what are your concerns? What are you looking to as the next step of this as clearly there's a lot that's left to be defined? And then maybe uh, on a, a level that might have more impact announced today, it certainly looks like the recommendation from the, North, from the NCAA Board of Governors is for the one time transfer rule, which I kind of thought was steamrolling towards being passed at the NCAA level. It is all. It does already have the support of some major Power Five conferences, but for it to be an NCAA-wide rule, it's got to get passed as such. Does not necessarily look like that's happening. Uh, So, before we get into the Big Ten East, what what have you made from sort of this uh, two-day press release extravaganza from the NCAA?
2: Well, you so educate me. So, as so, where are we at in the in the legislation and the legislative process of it? So, you're saying. That because I, I I can never understand with the NCAA what's going to a committee, what's going to a vote, what's going to be presented, uh, what's what's been, uh, you know, what's what's just part of a working committee now to address an issue or what is actually becoming law. Like, are you saying that we still got a ways to go on this? I know we we, we like like chronologically speaking in terms of what the calendar says. We've got some some time, but you're saying that we're not even out of the woods in terms of there being name and image and likeness?
0: No, all we have are guidelines – there's been no yeah. letter of the law that's been written. And among the things that really concern me is the NCAA has put a lot of it on the schools to be able to act as a, some kind of clearinghouse for a lot of these promotional deals. And so even in what I would consider some of the most earnest of situations, which would be you know a, a player being able to capitalize and be compensated for an Instagram post on his own Instagram account, Uh, It can't have any school logos in it. And, you know, there's even that in and of itself, that transaction has to be cleared by the school. And I just see a lot of paperwork and I see a lot of red tape and I see uh, what I will probably be a backlog at a lot of the compliance offices of these schools, especially when we're talking about the jobs that are going to be lost as athletic department budgets get cut. It's like, yes, i I see that you have created an avenue for players to get compensated off their name, image, and likeness, but with all these different guardrails and with all these systems that you're trying to put in place so that you could swallow it, you're going to create a system that is very, very difficult for everyone to go through it at the pace with which they'll have the opportunities presented to them.
2: So basically you're saying the first step in athletes being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness is for the NCAA to gum it up so much that it's going to be barely even worth it to try to profit off your name, image, and likeness. And then maybe someday we'll actually create a system and a framework that allows people to profit off the name, image, and likeness.
0: Yeah, like how the school's compliance offices are already stretched so thin with everything on their to-do list, and now you're going to add oversight for all of these individual smaller deals for the entire uh, athletic department i just i I think that they're really asking a lot in terms of resources from the individual schools it's going to be difficult to meet
1: to go backwards for one moment i would just like to say that it was just announced on twitter university of iowa president said athletes planning to resume practice including footballers june 1st quote
2: hopeful
1: that this will be behind us at this point i think that is very optimistic
2: but It
1: just gives you an indication of where things are starting to hopefully turn.
2: Finally, you know, Iowa, not maybe resource rich with talent relative to the SEC, but they don't have a lot of coronavirus up there. So they get to start practice a month earlier than everybody else. They get to get back and start doing their workouts again. Nice little built-in advantage there for the Hawkeyes. That's great news.
1: Maybe they were a little bit more proactive than some of the uh, <laughs> other SEC states. I, uh, yeah. But going to the NIL stuff, I, I read this stuff and I start to fall asleep hearing Chip talk about it start to fall (laughs) it's like i want the players to get all the money they can get but when it comes to like all the rules and regulations and all this stuff i just i at the base of everything i want them to get what they're worth but it's not the thing that you know perks my ears the most i i don't know i read through all this stuff and it's like okay 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 jargon okay jargon yeah uh uh-huh pretty much i kind of take that approach i think you're coming from bart where it's like just tell me when it's happening
0: it's, here's what's going to happen. It, there is going to be a really, really, really long line to get into the bar slash nightclub. You are going to be 21, but you are going to be sneaking into the back door just because it's easier than waiting in the line for the bar slash nightclub. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, I just, it's, there's so many things that about this that are going to be hard. It's, because, like, okay, say there's a, a player on a team that's got, like, a big Instagram following, right? And now a company, because of that Instagram following and because of his name and who he is, is like, hey, you know, we'll give you this much money to promote our product. Well, that's cool, but what's to stop a booster from giving them money to promote this product? You know what I mean? So it's,
2: I, I it's think there be was a, those... did I read that there was going to be a uh, a clause or potentially a clause that precludes boosters from – from actually, I mean, maybe there's maybe you can get around that. I'm, I'm how sure how do you, you police that? Though, so it's the, NCAA.
0: it's the The thing that the NCAA is concerned about is people who are um, boosters offering this in a way that would be trying to entice you to attend the school. And so even after they get out of high school, this could still potentially be something that you is going to be impossible to police, but they would be looking, for example, as Jamie Newman. And Anthony Brown are out there as some or, you know, right now with JT Daniels, the top quarterback in the transfer portal, that would be an opportunity for a player after they leave their school and they're a a transfer looking to find a place to sign, they could benefit off their name image likeness. And the NCAA is trying to, again, be putting all of the money that's being made they're trying to track it they're trying to get it all cleared so that they don't allow a situation like a booster being able to influence where JT Daniels or Anthony Brown or Jamie Newman would end up choosing to go
2: sounds like such a nightmare and and, and to be clear the nightmare is that how, like that's going to be impossible to track and and it will be such so much heavy lifting for the NCAA and those those individual institutions, the nightmare is not the idea that a, that a player could get bought. Because let's be honest, like who cares? Who cares if Florida buys a player? Who cares if Oklahoma State buys a player? Who cares if UMass has some booster that gets a four star to show up? Like the the, the 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 cards are the deck's already stacked in favor of the blue bloods. The there's only you can only have eighty five players on scholarship a year. You can't buy everybody. Like, let's let's let the market play it out. So, like that that part of it is of of, of no concern to me. You know, like the one thing about it that I think is is going to be a fascinating like to, to follow and track and see how. Like, so I think about this in terms of a, of a program and a team, not in the sense of oh, this guy's making more money than me. Now there's there's going to be team cohesion issues. No, I, I look at it in the sense because look, that already happens in the NFL. It happens in the world everywhere. People have varying levels of income, varying levels of of status, whatever that means, and people get along.
0: Yeah, I mean, you uh, and I have to sit here knowing that Tom makes seven times our salary and still engage with him like we are peers.
2: Yeah, I mean, right. it's we Golden we're allowed headphones. to talk. <laughs> We talk behind his back about him all the time, <laughs> but in in as as a group we get by, we get right. past it, we're a team. But what I think is interesting is the idea that if you are a a if you're trying to profit off your name, image, and likeness, as the 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 bill uh, states, then basically by definition you need to prop up your name, image. And likeness, and so you're you're going to be all about your Instagram following. You're all about building your social media following, getting your TikTok page on point, like posting all your grind, like hashtag grinding workout videos. And I just think it's like, and I'm not even saying like I don't care. I mean, do what you got to do. But I think it's going to be interesting to just see how that is navigated in terms of just creating a, a team creating an environment that is people are about team first when there's going to be an incentive to be me first. Um, and the teams that and like, I, again, it doesn't bother me that that's going to be an issue teams have to deal with because the teams that deal with it the best are going to be the ones that succeed. So who cares? Uh, I just think that's going to be something that's interesting to follow.
0: What team has players what what team or roster would you want to bet on to be uh, one of the first instances that gets exposed of a player buying followers?
2: <laughs> well, Tate Martell already got caught in the big followers followers buying scheme. I was going
0: to say Miami just off the top, so that one yeah. works perfectly.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt. The, the, truthfully, the 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 athletes that this helps the most are, I think, like Olympic sport athletes. Uh, women's athletes gymnasts people like that like that's the, this, like it's really not even football players I think that are, are gonna get the, the most benefit out of this in and, the big picture
1: and too you know in, in another oddly weird way too I feel like college basketball players are better positioned than football players just kind of like we see in pro sports where
0: you can see their face
1: you see their face and they're more of an, an entity and then you and then you bring in like the shoe companies and that kind of stuff. And I feel like college basketball players are going to be better positioned to really make money. Not to say football players won't, but it's going to be comparative wise. It's like football. Like you said, chip, you see their face. Football's more anonymous in that sense. Whereas we'll probably see like some star, you know, like Heisman guys be able to make some money and that kind of thing. But I feel like basketball, it'll be a lot easier simply too because you know, there's fewer players.
0: All right. Well, uh, speaking of the blue chips, and having the deck stacked, let's let's kick off our Big Ten East talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State coming off a 13-1 season. They got all the way to the college football playoff semifinals. They got down to score in position to advance to the national championship game, but an interception in the end zone ends the Buckeyes season. 9-0 in conference play. Uh, one of the best teams in the country. Throughout all of last season, it was the debate for Ohio State against LSU, with Ohio State really carrying the mantle as one of the most well rounded teams. We knew that LSU, with its offense all throughout the season, we were watching something special. But by the end of the year, the dominance that, you know, not only Chase Young, but really that entire defense where we saw several players. Uh, drafted in the nfl draft as well as justin fields and the offense under the leadership of new head coach ryan day i mean it was just ohio state had it all well-rounded national championship caliber team they lose a hefty nfl draft haul, particularly as i mentioned on that defensive side of the ball but they also lose defensive coordinator jeff halfley now the head coach at boston college we have justin fields as one of the faces of all of college football There are uh, other places, including on the defensive side of the ball, where I think that there are nitpicky-style concerns, but I guess I want to start the Ohio State conversation with, is there any uh, hesitation to fast-forward Ohio State into the middle of the table when it comes time for picking the college football playoff? Does Ohio State winning the Big Ten feel like an inevitability?
1: (sighs) Yeah, kind of. Does it? (laughs) I I don't want to say inevitability. I don't want to go that far. But, I mean, would you be... Like, if somebody that's not Ohio State wins it, you'll be surprised. Not to say you don't think other teams are capable. It's just... That's the team that's going to win. Unless yeah, Penn State I mean, suddenly pulls another quarterback out of somewhere.
2: So, I, I the only thing that... The only reason that I hesitate and and call like yes, I absolutely I agree that Ohio State is the favorite.
0: But I like Um, the hesitation. That's what I'm. uh, That's I think that's the more interesting discussion point. Not like are you going to predict Ohio State to win the Big Ten? Yes, I'm going to predict Ohio State to win the Big Ten. How long do you hesitate on that? And if you do, before we get to some of the other teams who it might be, what they would have to lose for that to happen? Where do you look at Ohio State in 2020? And you start to say if. If they're going to slip up, if this is going to be an eight and one team that doesn't get the tiebreaker or a seven and two team, you know where do you think are going to be the places that end up causing that?
2: Well, At Penn State. Yeah, that's like, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, just just think about this, this Penn State series. I mean, I know Penn State's only won one in the last, I don't know, nine or something like that, but... They won in 2016, 24-21. They lost by one point the following year. They lost by one point the following year. And they lost by 11 last year. And I I only say that because that's like – I just think of like that's that's still a really hard game. And there's going to be some serious tests for Ohio State. And in a single game – situation you know Ohio State is still like they, they play a tough enough schedule to where you really can't just make any assumptions um so yeah I mean I think that it's uh, yeah I, I think Ohio State is is the bet- most talented team in the Big Ten um and I think Justin Fields in year two is should be terrifying to everybody but I also think this schedule is what? what do they got they got they got to go to Oregon.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: They got to go to Michigan. Uh, got to go to Penn State.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, I don't know, Michigan's and Iowa and they're still like tough games.
1: Yeah, I I did the uh, for the site this week when we had to, we had to do an early prediction for how each team was going to do. I had the Big Ten. I had Ohio State losing that Penn State game on the road. It's just as we'll talk more later, I have Penn state losing two games in conference, which is how Ohio state still ended up winning the East in my prediction. But I just think that that Oregon game on the road is tough simply because if we look at Ohio state and all those guys that they have to replace, like, you know, they're replacing their entire secondary pretty much for the most part. And they're replacing their top receivers and they're replacing their top rusher and they're replacing a lot of their top defenders. So having that kind of game early in the year is tough, but on the flip side, Oregon's replacing its four-year starter at quarterback, and it's replacing a lot of people on its offensive line. So that that's a team that's going to be in transition there itself. So I still think Ohio State wins that game. But then when you get into conference, yeah, that Penn State game on the road is tough. But the rest of the road slate really, you know, they've got Michigan State, which I will get to later, but I don't, I don't have high hopes for the Spartans this year. They got Maryland on the road, and they've got Illinois on the road. Everything else is at home. So when you look at that talent advantage and you look at that schedule, which is not like compared to some of the schedules they've had in recent years, it's still tough, but it's not like a behemoth that it could be. I just don't see this team being capable of losing twice unless it suffers a lot of injuries, Justin Fields being one of them.
0: I could see, and this is the thing that I'm perhaps like the most excited about with Ohio State is I could see Ohio State being a team that, is offensive forward and not to say that they're not gifted on defense, but I don't think that where I think that where last year's team was much more of these, the well-rounded situation. I think that we could be dealing with uh, an Ohio state team with this group of wide receivers and Barton, like I can't, I, I know that Garrett Wilson will be you know another year under his belt. We've lost KJ Hill, which is just, you know, one of the most productive wide receivers in Ohio state history. I know that you mentioned him on our the CBS Sports HQ Cover Three Show at the beginning of the week. I, I wonder if the young wide receivers. I wonder if that that pipeline that they've got going. You know that combined with a little bit of a depth issue at running back. Master Teague's health is an issue, though we know we've got Trey Sermon's, but even Trey Sermon's health has sort of been something. Yeah, I don't know if you can necessarily count on thirteen games uh, the way that his career has gone so far. I just I wonder if the the style and sort of the productivity and the way that this Ohio State team might play I wonder if it could be a really really explosive offense uh, in a way where we're watching Ohio State go out there and win games sixty three to twenty eight on, on a kind of regular basis.
2: I do think that if you are making assumptions about Ohio State in the playoffs, then you are unabashedly. A believer in Justin Fields as as a you know top five player in college football, and that's I'm, I'm not even saying that's a reach. Um, a lot of people do believe that. Don't probably. you? Yeah, I, I'm just saying like you like you 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 don't think last year was some hot shot you know beginner's luck. Like you're not you're not believing in Justin Fields to come back down to earth. If you believe Ohio State like Ohio State because of what you mentioned, like they are going to have some 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 new guy like they have Garrett Wilson, they have Chris Olave, and they have a really talented recruiting class at the wide receiver position, which will be able to contribute. But there is some inexperience there. They lost a lot of guys that played a lot of snaps at receiver. They they have to do they have to replace a lot on both the defensive line and the secondary. Uh that's that's two thirds of the defense right there. Um they, you know, so there's they're talented and they've recruited really well, but I, I still think like your an a, a Ohio state's playoff assumption is built around the idea that Justin Fields is going to be in New York city once again. And that's fine. That's not, that's again, I'm not saying that's a, that's a poor assumption to make. I'm, I, I'm making that assumption.
0: Yeah. Cause you're, um, you're getting all in and you're starting to get it to trickle out to everybody else. Like you've, you've planted the seed in enough brains across the football uh, ecosystem. They're like, well, You're right. You know, Justin Fields only has started, you know, like 17 games in high school and only this many games at the college. You know, you're right. We haven't even seen Justin Fields ceiling yet. We've
2: seen Trevor Lawrence's ceiling. It's well, starting to uh, yeah, get out there. I mean, there. Like, Have do we? you, I mean y'all, y'all were here. Like last year, everyone was saying, take for Tua, 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 Tua. Tua is the best player in college football. Tua is, is unbelievable. Like Tua can't miss. And, and then, you know, Tua's throwing to wide open receivers – and and is is playing perfect football but the receivers are like too wide open and then we're like oh what's uh, what's i don't know about this to a guy like he's always banged up and how how come his receivers are always so open it's like <laughs> it's like and now and and then Joe Burrow comes and, and surges forward and is the number 1 pick in the NFL draft and Justin Fields was in New York City at the Heisman Trophy ceremony last year his first year as a starter in college football and there is this Overwhelming assumption everywhere that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick next year. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's the that's the safe bet for sure. But I just I think sometimes we can get into this this um, this idea when we're th- talking about guys that that there isn't development and improvement. And if you're ever going to look for someone that could have developed and improved in a dramatic way from a really like starting from a really high spot as is like, why isn't just, why is, why is it like weird to think Justin Fields could become a, a transcendent player next year? I think it's, it's well within the realm of possibility.
1: I agree. Talked about it on the Epic uh, six podcast earlier. I, th- I think that, uh, If I went over their stats, I mean, in a lot of areas, they were very similar. Although, it's also, if you took away Trevor's first three games, which he was kind of fooling around and before he really turned it on, then Trevor had better. But overall, Justin was better than Trevor in a lot of key important areas. And I think that he is somebody that, yeah, he's not a finished product yet. But I don't think Trevor Lawrence is a finished product yet either, Chip. I still think that we haven't seen the ceiling for him. I think Mm. that if he... I I, like I talked. I think that he got a little bored at times last year. I think if because we've seen when you get to the playoffs, when he's got like a challenge, he steps up. And I think that that's the one thing that maybe if we could get that kind of consistent focus from him as far as treating every game like it's a playoff game, then I still think there's another level Trevor Lawrence can get to.
0: Late bloomer Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence. Late, Late bloomer. I need, I need a, I need a good character for that are there any famous late bloomers from entertainment
2: um from from the entertainment world
0: yeah or pop culture
2: like a like an actor that got his oscar in the 70s or something
0: Hmm, maybe we'll see I don't know. i'll work i'll workshop it we'll kind <laughs> of got, yeah. got, got a lot uh, of time
1: i mean leo was around really but before a long time before he got his oscar but that's not to say he wasn't deserving of it before he got the oscar so i don't know if that would work
0: that's true. That's true. We'll we'll figure out a good Justin Fields comparison.
1: We'll save that for our our, our Hollywood podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions, eleven and two last season overall, seven and two in conference play. James Franklin has, and since about the twenty, since the start of twenty sixteen season, he's got one of the most. Uh, successful programs in all of college football. They are still looking for that college football playoff appearance, though they have gotten a Big Ten championship and several New Year's Six Bowl bids. Um, We are looking right now at Penn State. They lose... KJ Hamler but one of the interesting stories coming out of last season was the emergence of Journey Brown. I think that that's probably the the headline or the sticky point on offense for a lot of people just because Sean Clifford the quarterback right now as uh, you know we've kind of referenced earlier in this episode and in or the earlier episodes of the podcast Sean Clifford's a good quarterback, but he needs to take another step. Uh, there's got to be something there if this Penn State team is going to be considered right up there next to Ohio State, not for a one-game scenario because, as we mentioned, there's a lot of belief that Penn State can win that one game, but to be able to get the job done the rest of the way as well. I think that for Clifford, the Minnesota game is probably the the lingering memory that's serving for some of my uh, – you know, damning analysis, the multiple opportunities where Penn State's offense got the ball into scoring position and you know it ended up with an interception. Now the last his last interception of that game, I remember, was a little bit more of a desperation situation, but still that Penn State offense was moving the ball. And when it came time to being in scoring position, he was often uh, the the end result of coming away with no points. And so that's it, it is a big concern if you're talking about Penn State as a potential playoff team. We've also got new coaches. Uh, Ricky Ronnie out after taking the head coaching job at ODU. And Barton, are we going Karacha?
2: Yeah, I think that's the way you say it.
0: Offensive coordinator Kirk Karacha takes over. Uh, Micah Parsons is going to be one of all of college football superstars coming up this year. And the interesting thing about Penn State's uh, schedule as it lays out, all the big games are in October. In November, it, there's not, there's A, it looks like more manageable games. I guess that's good if you're concerned about a team depth, if you're concerned about how healthy a team is coming down the stretch. But on the other hand, they're also not going to be in a lot of spotlight games uh, that would be getting the attention of the college football playoff selection committee. So kind of feels like the whole season sort of hangs in what happens in those games in October. So that should make for a very interesting team that could be starting as AP top five, AP top 10 in the preseason polls. Is this the year Penn State uh, can not only beat Ohio State, but also get the job elsewhere, job done elsewhere?
1: I think. I mean, it's it's Shuraka, by the way.
2: Charaka. Oh. What what did Chip say? Caraka. Caraka. Oh. I think
1: it's I I think that if we want to go straight Italian, there's a couple, but I think Charaka is the way I've heard it go for him. But uh, I think that a lot of it. You you mentioned Sean Clifford. I think that he is going to play a key role because if you just look, like you mentioned the Minnesota game, and yeah, he was bad. It's just, but I think there's. There's just a huge difference between him on the home and road overall last year. I mean, it's it's I think that was clear cut, not just in the Minnesota game, but the Ohio State game. I think who Michigan they played on the road too, and he did not really play all that well uh, or no, Iowa. Sorry, Michigan. He actually played well, but that was at home. But uh, I think that that's going to play a key role. I think it will be interesting to see what Kirk Scirocca. It is. Can do. Good work for the Penn State offense because, I mean, that Minnesota offense last year was very good. And if he can bring that kind of verticality to their offense that I think Penn State was missing at times last year in which it was wholly dependent on K.J. Hamler to make big plays in the passing game, if they can add more of that threat to the offense, this is a team that could take a step forward. But I also think that I've been unfair to Sean Clifford in that I've put too much of the onus on him, and this is still an offensive line that feels like I've been saying this now for six years. It's just it got better last year. It's not as bad as it was a few years ago, but year in and year out, I feel like Penn State's offensive line has been somewhat disappointing. They, uh, they've they made a change like they did at offensive coordinator at the offensive line. Matt Limegrover is gone And I just think that's another area in which they're going to have to improve if they're going to want to not only be the second best team in the Big Ten, which I feel like is something I feel safe in saying they will be the second best team in the Big Ten. I think that overall they'll be better than whoever wins the West. But if they want to close that gap in Ohio State and if they want to win the East and beat Ohio State and then win the division, win the Big Ten and maybe get a playoff berth quarterback offensive line needs to improve i would like to see a running back emerge i don't know if we're gonna you know maybe it's journey brown but I, I he might not be the guy i somebody's gonna need to step up at the receiver spot and on defense man they were good against the run last year but if you had a quarterback who could throw the ball penn state was very very vulnerable to getting picked apart by good quarterbacks so i think that's one other key thing that when you look at oh yeah there's justin fields they have to get past that is going to be something to keep an eye on for me, for Penn State in 2020.
2: So I think Penn State is in a really uh, interesting period in the James Franklin tenure in the sense that I think – so Franklin's been there – I'm just pulling up his Wikipedia page. He's been here one, two, three, four, five, six years. This will be year seven. And – I think this is probably going to be his most talented team. And this is probably going to be the last year. Like you can maybe make a case that the teams have gotten more talented with maybe, a, I don't know if there's a dip in there or not, but like there might've been just sort of incrementally top to bottom of the roster, getting just a little bit better every year. And I think this year is probably their most talented team. And that like Ohio state's team isn't better every year. Alabama's not more talented than year before every year. I think Penn State, to a degree, there's, a, there's been a little bit of that. And so now we're at a point where, yes, I agree, Sean Clifford is not super confidence-inspiring as a playoff-contending quarterback. But I do think when you think about the, the team around him, uh, I think the offensive line should be the best offensive line that they've had. Um, I think that new offensive line coach is supposed to be pretty good. Uh, I think that the the running back field, like Tom, you were talking about, like someone's got to step up. I think, I mean, they got like, I think Journey Brown's going to be one of the, I think he is the next guy that we're talking about as a potential first round draft pick at running back out of Penn State. He's a freak athlete. And they have Noah Kane and they have Devin Ford and they recruited a really good class. Like the running back field is loaded. They have a potential first round draft pick at tight end at Pat Fryermuth. They have, uh, you know the receiver group to me is the one that has to sh- to, to show me something and then their their defense is pretty stacked um, especially at linebacker but but really all over the place in terms of just the athlete so so Ohio State's still the big dog but I think Penn State has I mean this is I think there's a they're at the highest point in the mountain that they've been in terms of just the ability to compete and so i'm not I'm not counting them out. With that, you know, I just but again, you can't. Who do you trust, Justin Fields or Sean Clifford? Justin Fields, right? Who do you trust?
0: Who do you trust, Ryan Day or James Franklin? As a uh, play caller? uh maybe. I mean,
1: like <laughs> I mean, let's I let's, I let's think go. James full- Franklin would take Ryan Day. I don't. As I play mean. <laughs>
0: You know, if we're going to go full urban on this, I mean, what was urban, right? If not the master motivator, if not the like psychology, uh, you know, writing the self-help books, got all the acronyms for you. And, you know, I, I say that with my tongue, like firmly in my cheek, but also taking a step back and recognizing that when you're talking about the small margins of winning at the highest level in college football, you know... is Ryan day is Ryan day going to at any point see a learning curve when it comes to getting Ohio state's roster ready to go for the biggest games of the season, you know, and maybe that falls back to the, uh, you know, the, the Mark Pantone, you know, just sort of still having the old urban infrastructure in place that it makes Ryan day's job easier. But I, I would think that James Franklin, who has been sort of considered this 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 hot coach rising in the industry, getting it done on the recruiting trail, having his team you know banging on the door of the college football playoff? I mean, when you're looking for teams that have not made the college football playoff and look like they are prepared to make that break in, as we sit here you know midway through the first 12 year contract of the college football playoff as a four team playoff, Penn State is where that conversation starts. They they like you know Washington I think is also up there but even Washington's got one college football playoff appearance it feels like Franklin is ready and I wonder you know what kind of you know we're going to get into we got coach rankings coming up in a couple weeks so we you know these are going to be some of the conversations that come up has has Franklin had his own growth as a coach as a leader of a program and what does the staff shakeup do I think there's definitely a chance that if we're looking at who's got the edge on a tail of the tape and it's Ryan Day against James Franklin, if you want to make the James Franklin argument, I might not agree with it, but I don't think it's crazy.
1: I would I would take Franklin right now, which is nothing to do with Ryan Day. I just don't think Ryan Day has a long enough track record as a head coach to say without a doubt that I think he's a better coach than James Franklin because you look at what Franklin did at Vandy, which was a program that, you know, was nothing. And then he he turned it around really quickly. He had the three bowl games in three years, including you know eighteen wins in his final two years. And then he came to a Penn State program that was, let's not forget the mess that Penn State was coming out of when Franklin took that over. And we've seen the progression. And I mean, he took it for, you know seven wins each of the first two years, and then bang, you jump up to eleven wins in year three. You maintain that with eleven wins in year four. Then you drop back a little bit to nine and four. But then you come back last season with another eleven win season and. If we look through Penn State history, like three 10-win seasons in four years, Joe Paterno did that a lot in the 70s and 80s. But coming into the Big Ten, since Penn State joined the Big Ten, the only time Paterno was able to do that was in his first four years in the Big Ten, when I think they went like 10-2, and then 12-0, and something, and then I think they won 10 games again in their fourth year. And he never did it again after that. So Franklin would be able to do that, taking over the program and getting into the position now where, like I said, that Right now, this is the second best team in the Big Ten. I think they're going to be better than anybody in the West. I think that gives Franklin the edge for me. But again, if Ryan Day keeps doing what he did last year for another few years, that's going to change quickly.
0: Interesting. Coming up on the other side, taking a look at the rest of the Big Ten East, beginning with another year in Ann Arbor
3: with Michigan looking up at the rest of the division. Next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: Michigan.
3: <laughs> uh, the Michigan
0: Wolverines were nine and four last season, six and three in Big Ten play. And you know we've mentioned the the great returning production rankings on this uh, podcast in the spring gleaning series before, and of course compiled by the great Bill Connolly over at ESPN, number one twenty five in returning yeah. production for the Michigan Wolverines yet they do carry a number 16 ranking in his preseason SP plus. So we've got a year two with Josh Gaddis as a big storyline to follow, not just for uh, Michigan's offense and the offensive you know scheme side of this because of the way that things sort of turned on near the middle of last season, but also because Josh Gaddis as offensive coordinator has a lot of decisions to make. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton battling for the quarterback job, numerous starters on the offensive line that you've got to replace, skill position players that you've got to replace. So you're trying to get some kind of continuity, but you're going to have to do it uh, with some new faces that are going to be in those places. Yeah, I, the For Michigan – The we have got them right now. By the way, we're having a conversation. If if Ohio State's making the college football playoff and if Penn State's the second best team in the Big Ten, what is the gap do you think the gap is far between or like judge the gap by your own metric between Michigan and Penn State?
2: Significant. Uh, Oh, really? You think there's a significant gap?
1: Not like chasm, but Mm -hmm. I think that there's
2: there's a clear distinction between the two.
1: Yeah, like you—you you could see it. <laughs> you don't have to be up in a plane to see it. You—you you know what I'm saying? You could see it from the ground. It's that—it's—it's it's big enough for that, at least.
2: I—I I just, yeah, I don't know. I can't give. I can't figure out what I think about Michigan because they do lose. Like Bill Conley's the one that's isn't he the one that's been? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. All right, sorry to get some getting some weird noises on my my end. Um but like offensive line is, is what we always look to and say if their offensive line they don't return enough of their offensive line, like that's that's gonna be a big red flag when in reality the things that correlate more to success in in the studies that Bill Conley has done, I think I'm saying this right, is is defensive back returning production and receiver returning production. And I just want, like, I don't know. We could kind of probably do this every year with Michigan, but I just wonder if there's going to be this. I think, I wonder if people are just going to write them off. All right. They got no quarterback returning that started any significant amount. They lost four offensive linemen to the NFL draft. Josh Gaddis was, didn't provide the boost that people wanted him to in year one. And, get ready for Michigan to slump into perennial eight and Fordham. And I, and I just, like, I just wonder if this is the year when they actually surprise the people. And I'm certainly not going to go predict that because I feel like that's even been a prediction that's, that's been thrown out there before, but they do return some really good defensive backs. They do return a really talented receiving group. They do have some studs in their front seven and, this is going to be year two of this offense that actually started to get some traction in the middle to second half of the season. And so, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm, I I would rank this, the big 10 East, one Ohio state, two Penn state, three Michigan. Uh, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting on the Wolverines just yet.
1: I think there's a, like you talked about the, correlation of the returning production at offensive line going forward I think the one thing that doesn't cover though is Michigan didn't just lose four offensive linemen they lost four NFL offensive linemen four guys who were drafted and when I look at that I look at a whole new offensive line coming in and it's not so much that you have a new quarterback as much as it's I don't know who the new quarterback is going to be yet at this point like there was nobody in the wings that was okay that's the guy that's going to take over like I, we don't know And then you look at their schedule. I mean, they start the year on the road at Washington, which has its own question marks, which we discussed on an earlier episode, but it's still going to be a tough game to start your season with on the road in that stadium against that team. But then they get, like, if you look at their interdivisional draw from the West... They get both Wisconsin and Minnesota, which you know were the top two teams in the West last year. They won 21 games between them, and they get a Purdue team that I think is better than you know it, the its record showed up and is probably going to be a little bit better. You get Ohio State on the road to finish the year. You've got to go to on the road to Michigan State, which is always going to be a tough game for Michigan because of the rivalry. So, you look at like just here. Let me go through the schedule game by game. Okay, at Washington to start, tough. Then you get two should-be wins at home against Ball State, Arkansas State. But then your Big Ten schedule starts with home Wisconsin, home Penn State, at Michigan State, at Minnesota, Purdue, Maryland, Rutgers, kind of the lull, and then Indiana and Ohio State on the road to finish. That's, that's a tough schedule, man. And when you look at all the question marks that that team has going in, I have a hard time thinking this team's going to win 10 games in 2020. And if it does – That was a great year for Michigan, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's perennial eight and Fordham. And it's not that, uh, it's not like they're destined for some, you know, little window of mediocrity. But if there's a window of opportunity, I think that 2020 ain't it. And if I'm asking to answer my own question, I do think that there is significant distance between Penn State and Michigan this coming season. But if we're going big, wide program perspective, I might give Penn State a slight edge, at least in terms of championship caliber, you know, championship competitiveness. But in the big picture, I still think they're occupying the same step on the ladder in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment.
0: The Indiana Hoosiers. Eight and five overall, five and four in conference play. It was their best season since the 90s. Uh, we're going into this coming season where I think that we've got some, yes, some turnover on the staff, but I do think we still have a lot of uh, excitement for what's back. This group is number 11 in Bill C's returning production rankings. Um, you know, you got 12 redshirt freshmen that might be joining the competition for the starting jobs. It feels like Tom Allen is starting to have a squad and a roster, at least in the 2020 season with, you know, what all the coaches love, which is some program depth. Do you think that the level up, the best season in decades that we saw in 2019 was one of those moments where Indiana, I mean... Who knows how long it can be sustained, but where Indiana, at least right now, has really changed sort of the fabric of expectations for what we get out of them each season.
1: It's changes for me this year, for sure. I mean, when I look at the team that they've got coming back with what they had last year, because like you said, there's a lot of returning key players back. And I look at their schedule, I mean, it's like they're probably going to lose the games that Indiana should lose. Like, they should probably lose on the road to Wisconsin. They should probably lose to Penn State. They should probably lose on the road to Ohio State. And they should probably lose on the road to Michigan. But they should probably win every single other game on their schedule. If you just look at how they were last year, what they have coming back, and you try to project who the teams that they're playing are going to look like, this is a team that... I think maybe, you know, we're going to see the nine Windiana hashtag on Twitter again. I don't know if nine wins is realistic, but I definitely think this is like that eight and four kind of team. I mean, there's some questions. It's not like they have a huge talent depth wise as far as the roster is concerned, where if they withstand some injuries, they can, you know, they can move on and deal with it. So that's going to be significant for them. They have to stay healthy. But if they stay reasonably healthy, I don't see any reason why Indiana shouldn't be one of the better, you know, Big Ten top half Big Ten teams in 2020.
2: Uh, early in the year, or a couple weeks ago, month ago, I don't know when I was asked to do a make bold prediction, make ten, whatever, make a prediction for every Big Ten team. I don't even think they had to be bold, but just make a prediction. My prediction for Indiana was they will be seven and0 for a Halloween showdown I believe that's on the road at Penn State uh, It's at home at home okay there you go. Seven and0 when Penn State comes to town on Halloween I still I kind of I kind of have I don't think I got like that is that is a bold prediction okay that's when if things go well and that would take them beating Wisconsin very early in the season. But that Wisconsin game – let me pull up Wisconsin schedule real quick. Uh, if you have it in front of me, uh, let, let, in front of you, let me know. It but, is Indiana,
1: Southern, App State at Michigan, Notre Dame. Oh, so that's just
2: the opener. All right, so that's the opener. So it takes <laughs> – it's going to take, obviously, a an upset. Upsets happen in college football. But I think Indiana is that kind of team that could pull an upset. And then they'll be if and if they pull that upset, then they we they'll be considered favored every game until Penn State, and I think that they could they could get that done. So it's 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 a big if. It's if they pull the upset, which I think they're capable of, then they'll be seven and zero. And I think Michael Penix is really good. Uh, Wap Fillier comes back at receiver. He's a really good player. Tom Allen is consistently has really good defenses, and they. Yes, they lost their offensive coordinator to the Fresno State head coaching job, and that's that's not great. But um, Nick Sheridan is a is a young up and comer who they promoted from within. I, I don't know. I kind of just kind of got a little hunch, kind of got a little IU hunch right now.
0: I think that if you're also starting to you know move the pieces around, Indiana has an opportunity. Well, Tom, do you have anything else you want to get in on Indiana? No,
1: I I think that I mean the bold prediction of seven and zero is bold, but if they get past Wisconsin, it's not ridiculous because you know it. Then it's Western Kentucky, Ball State at UConn, Maryland at Rutgers, and a Michigan State team that we're about to talk about in a minute that I don't think any of us are super high on. So, yeah, it's it's not ridiculous to think that this team can start seven and zero, which just kind of goes to show. Like, I think the overall feeling about the question you asked at the beginning, Chip is Indiana somebody to take, you know, seriously, or is it something that, you know, is a real momentum, or was it just kind of a flash in the pan? I don't think it was a flash in the pan.
0: I don't think it was either. I think that right now, Indiana is closer to Michigan than Michigan State. That mm, that might be a little bold. We'll see. But I (laughs) I will, I do have Michigan State slotted. Behind Indiana in my projections for the upcoming season, they finished behind Indiana last season, seven and six overall, four and five in conference play. We've got Mel Tucker coming in and a well-compensated group of assistant coaches. Hmm. <sighs> I mean, is is the bowl game? They don't return a lot. They've got a lot to turn over. They got a late start. They've got no spring practice. A lot of the intangibles are going against uh, Mel Tucker in Michigan State. For immediate success, I'm not really all that bullish. Uh, I think that long term, there's definitely a, a possibility that, oh, there's definitely potential that Mel Tucker is able to get in there, get settled, get a couple recruiting cycles in, and all of a sudden, the Spartans are, are going to become something to something to be reckoned with. But I mean, is a bowl game a success for Mel Tucker, and Michigan State in 2020? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I
0: think
1: so. I, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we've gone over it a lot out here. It's just this off season, and again, fingers crossed, but this off season has been unlike anything else that we have seen in the modern college football era in that there's been no spring practice. And then you combine that with the fact that when, he got, what, hired in early February, mid-February? Sounds right. Yeah, so he was hired extremely late in the process because Mark D'Antonio kind of, You know, came out of nowhere, stepped down. He comes in, has to put together a coaching staff after the coaching carousel has essentially already come to a stop. And then he has to try to get to know his new team and all of spring practice is taken away from him. So the coaches don't really know their players. The players don't know the coaches, the early enrollees and all those guys kind of guys. You know, you don't know when summer practice is going to happen. And now they, they're they going to have to t- kind of squeeze all the things that you would do over a typical entire offseason when a new coach comes in. They might have to squeeze it into like a two-week period and then try to, trying to get ready for a football season. That doesn't bode well. So if they get to a bowl game and then you look at their schedule on top of it, if this team gets the six wins,
2: hell yeah. <laughs> and they got to do it with a new quarterback. Yeah. The old quarterback was the super experienced guy and the new quarterbacks not, I don't think as good as the old quarterback and he doesn't have experience and they're losing their best playmakers they're they're losing a lot on the on on both sides of the line of scrimmage man I mean good luck
1: yeah I'm not I mean remember when they went three and nine a few years ago yeah not entirely out of the question in 2020 well, but you know, it's not, I don't think that's the likely thing. I just think that if they have that kind of year, I'm not going to be like, wow, what a disappointing season for Michigan state. I'm just going to be kind of like, yeah, we kind of saw it coming.
0: Right. And not, uh, there will be no grading of the Mel Tucker hire no. until we have a, a little while. And, and that'll probably be the case for all the first year coaches across the board. Uh, year two ahead for Mike Loxley in Maryland. They went three and nine last year, won just one conference game. Uh bruh, the quarterback position. I mean the
2: it's it has become That's your boy, bro.
0: I know Josh Jackson. That's your
2: boy. You were all you were on the Josh Jackson train. <laughs> the
0: the sweet uh, the sweet musings of one good year with Justin Fuente just uh, just really had me buying in on Josh Jackson hot start to the season but uh, finished the year as a sub fifty percent passer and four different quarterbacks saw time because of injury and or poor performance. I guess Josh Jackson's going to end up getting the first crack at it again. But no, that's one thing that has spanned multiple Maryland coaches is that some combination of poor play and injuries is going to mean an over under of two and a half quarterbacks are going to see significant action for the Terps. It's just the way that it goes. Uh, You're missing Anthony McFarland. You're missing Javon Leak in terms of high profile skill position players. Very the very very talented Deshaun Jones is still there. Uh, though, you know, there have been some limitations the quarterback play included into what he's been able to do beyond some flashes. They're really really young and a little bit inexperienced on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, I I want to when we're dealing with Maryland and our next team Rutgers, I want to try and find reasons to not just out of comfort slide them down in my preseason predictions but I don't see enough there right now to put Maryland even ahead of a Michigan State definitely not ahead of an Indiana or Michigan
1: yeah I think while it's not in the same ways and to the same extent this is a team that was hurt by everything that's going on this spring too because if you talk to Maryland fans you know their recruiting class last year in Loxley's first season was I think it was top 30 but More importantly, they had 11 guys who were supposed to be early enrollees or are early enrollees. And the hope was that a couple of them, you know, like Juco guys, too. The hope was that this was going to help get by getting them in early. You'd be able to help infuse a lot of what you lost with this new fresh talent and help get that process kickstarted quickly. But now. They lost all those practices. So those guys being able to enroll early might help them acclimate to school, except, oh, wait, they didn't get to go to school either. So everything that you hope to gain from that process, they lost. So it's gonna you're gonna that's gonna slow down the progress that you, you could hope to make with those guys as far as an infusion of talent into the roster, which is gonna impact them because when you're in the Big Ten East, you have to play a difficult schedule. Every single year, and when you look at Maryland's schedule, there are a lot of tough games. The back half. Do you, you want to hear their November schedule? No buys. Their last four games of the year are at Michigan, Ohio State, at Penn State, first Michigan State
0: championship. So, yeah. So when you reach
1: November, when your team is at its most banged up because it's been play, it's played seven, eight games, and it hasn't had a buy in like a month. You've got to play the four toughest teams, probably you know, in your division. Besides six,
2: maybe six and two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the Mike Loxley coaching search and coaching hire was, was so bizarre in the sense that you would like, you would go down this list of all the things, all the reasons Mike Loxley fits for Maryland. Oh, he's, he's been there before he's, he's, you know, he's from the DMV. He's recruited it off the charts. He's been a part of these great offenses at Alabama. He, you know, he's he's going to be able to get into the transfer portal. Uh, he's going to be able to unite the program at a time where, where there's a lot of discord. Uh, and then, like, bang, 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 then a little bit further down the list, a little bit further, and then a little bit further. But then you say, uh, and oh, and, and by the way, he was 3 31 as a head coach. <laughs> it's like way, 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 wait. and that, and it's just this whisper of Mike Locks, who's three and thirty-one as a head coach. I get, after you talk about everything else, and at the end of this past season, it's still we're still at the whisper stage. I don't expect them to be significantly better than last year, and so maybe at the end of this season, we start to hear. People just sort of say, well, he was 3-31 and 31 as a head coach before this season. And so then it's going to be on 2021 for it not to be just being blasted everywhere. Like, well, what would you expect? He was 3-31 as a head coach. And everyone gets restless. Because ultimately, I do think this is a long rebuild. And I don't think that they get, came out of the gates recruiting in the way they, they sort of needed to in order to have an a immediate year-two flip. I think they got some good players. Ruben Hippolyte is a is a kid that's going to be a stud. I think as a freshman at linebacker, Raheem Jarrett is is a, a elite receiver. Um, the 2021 class is even better. They're off to a really good start there, but at some point, the there, there's going to be some compensation for not talking about three and 31 before the hire. Uh, and that's going to come mid-season. He's got to endure a little bit of that, I think. And uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: <laughs> the dirtiest secret in all of college football is that Mike Loxley was three and thirty-one as a head coach.
2: He was like the no-brainer hire. Like the like, no one had any questions. Just like, well, of course, like this is going to be Mike Loxley. And then it's like, well, he was three and thirty-one, so maybe not, of course.
0: That's six and 40 now to you, sir. <laughs> Mike Loxley, six and 40. That's
2: right. What were you saying, Tom? Up.
1: Oh, I wasn't saying anything. Okay. Well, I was trying to do the math in my head of what that win percentage is because I was going to make the, like, 12% of the time he wins every time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike Mike Loxley, uh, six divided by um, 13%. So 13. I was one off. Yeah, all right. 13, 13% of the time. All right, and that brings us uh, to Rutgers. 2-10 last year, 0-9 in Big Ten play. Greg Schiano back. You want to know how hyped they are for Greg Schiano to be back? I saw him tailgating for the virtual spring practice Woo! in the middle of quarantine. Rutgers fans are setting up that Rutgers tailgate in their backyards in New Jersey. This is, it's all coming back. We're going right To uh, top 25. I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I wonder what is going to be the first indicator of Shiano-inspired success for you all when it comes to watching Rutgers in 2020.
2: Competence? Yeah.
1: We're setting a low bar here. (laughs) But I do think that this is a team that just based on a coaching change and what we've seen Shiano do at Rutgers before should be more competent because, I mean, it's it's not just that Rutgers has lost a lot of games in recent years. It's just how comically bad they were and uncompetitive at times. It was just, it was kind of, you know, it was legitimately embarrassing to watch. I like, I felt bad for those teams watching them play a lot of the times because they were so thoroughly outmatched in so many different areas. That that's really all I am looking for from this Rutgers team. Maybe you pull off the upset conference win at some point, you know, to to be like the high point of the year. But just don't be losing games seventy two to nothing anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- yeah. I mean, I think just don't don't throw twenty picks to two hundred inter- to to two touchdowns. Don't
0: is that Art Sikowski's? I don't know what was, something
2: like that. <laughs> or Like Art Intkowski. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> it was it was it was something of that nature. Um just yeah, just just let's just be competitive. Let's just take some teams in the fourth quarter and and look the part and that's a good start and I think they're going to recruit really well in this 2021 cycle. And so I think they could go from being competitive to to steal a conference win in 2021. I don't think that's necessarily happened in this year, though. I guess there's it's possible with some of the, the the, the lower. There teams are level.
1: some winnable well, games.
2: Yeah,
0: what you I did, Tom, when you did the activity, did you give the Syracuse game to Rutgers or Syracuse? I
1: did. I also gave oh. a win over Nebraska. Yeah. Just simply because it was in a weird spot in Nebraska's schedule, where I was like, they caught you know, it's a home game, and I just feel like at some point later in the season, when this team is finally kind of starting to take effect of the change in coaching and the and you start seeing the gains they're gonna steal one at some point and they have that run in the middle of the year that's illinois at purdue indiana nebraska at maryland i think they can get one of those five if things go well but i still you think, think you think Rutgers I,
2: can yeah i think they so, can it just that's big i it's got a coppers win that's big yeah
1: I mean, you know, it that'd be something. It, I still think the highlight of the season is what you alluded to earlier. Is I think they're going to be, I think Rutgers fans are going to be paying closer attention to the twenty twenty one recruiting than the twenty twenty football team. But I do, I think I'm I'm making that prediction now here on April thirtieth, twenty twenty. Rutgers is going to win a conference game in the twenty twenty season.
2: Whoa! If they're not- the lead, you if- got to wait till the very end of the podcast to get the good stuff.
1: again i like to reward i like to reward the listeners stick to the end get the good stuff
0: if nine conference games are played as scheduled then tom Fernelli guarantees one win Mm -hmm. i like it are you going to be sad if it comes against your beloved fighting alina
1: of course but at least i will have the insurance saying told you told you told you so
0: told you so it's sweet Uh, We will be back next week with the Big Ten West. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.